Daniel chapter number 23. And we're going to pick up in the middle of a story for the sake of time. I'll give you the background as we preach this morning and pick up in verse number 25. 1 Samuel chapter number 23. Just remain seated today if you don't mind. Look down to verse number 25. And we are picking up in the middle of a story where Saul is continuing in his relentless pursuit of David, trying to do away with David. And we're going to read something really, I told my wife this past week as I was preparing the message that I don't know that I've ever preached out of this passage or at very least preached on the subject we're going to be preaching on today. And so I pray you'll open your heart to receive it, trusting the Holy Spirit to give us what we need. 1 Samuel 23, and look down to verse number 25, and we're picking up in the middle of this chase uh, as Saul seeks David. The Bible says Saul also and his men went to seek him. They told David, wherefore, he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. When Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men about to take them. Now notice what's happening here. Saul is in hot pursuit of David, and now he has virtually surrounded him. Verse 26 said he's compassed them. Verse 27 goes on to say, But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore they called the place Selah Hamaklakoth. And David went up from thence and dwelt in strongholds at Engedi. Now there's a lot to unravel here this morning. It was a beautiful picture of God's providence we're going to see this morning. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless. And as we pray this morning, I put out on our church Facebook page yesterday, good friends of ours down at Santa Mal Baptist Church in Santa Mal, Louisiana. Their church was hit very hard by the tornado, uh, ripped the front part of their church, had a lot of water damage. And I told them we'd be in prayer for them today. So as we go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to bless the service today, Let's pray that God would bless them in their service today as well. Father God, thank you for the privilege to have a copy of your word. Thank you, Father, that we can come to your house and knowing, Father, we can hear from you through your word. Now, Lord, I know without a shadow of a doubt this is what you've given us to preach today. And I pray that, Father, we would open our hearts to receive it. I pray that each and every one, Lord, within the sound of my voice, whether in this building or, Lord, even those watching by a live stream today, that, Lord, even now we would surrender our will to yours to receive it and to respond to the message you send today. I pray if there's one here today who doesn't know for sure that heaven's their home, Lord, I pray you'd make that clear to them. Help them come down and be saved before it's too late. And Father, for the saved today, help us be challenged by this message and leave here walking closer to you as a result of it. Be with the folks in Santa Ma today. I pray you encourage their hearts as they go through this trial. Help us to seek to be the blessing we can to them for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, not to make light of this passage this morning, uh, but each time I read about King Saul chasing David, I can't help but think about the cartoon that I used to watch as a kid where Wile E. Coyote would chase after the roadrunner. How many of you remember that? Uh, some of you can kind of go back that far. Some of you may not have been around for that just yet. Uh, but Wile E. Coyote was always trying to catch up with the roadrunner. And I think those cartoons are politically incorrect now because they involve too much violence. You know, dropping an anvil on someone's head is politically correct today in the world we're living in. And so you may not even be able to watch it anymore, but Wile E. Coyote was 
was always trying to get after the roadrunner. He had TNT. Uh, he would try to drop a landslide of rocks on him or try to drop an anvil. And it never seemed to work out the way that Wiley Coyote wanted it to work out. It always ended up blowing up in his face, and he never was quite able uh, to catch up with Roadrunner. And uh, I don't know if he ever did catch up with Roadrunner, but every episode I ever saw, he never was able to really fulfill what he set out to do. And when I read these accounts of where Saul is chasing after David, it's often that's the case, isn't it? Often the case, Saul has a good plan, has good ideas of how he's going to capture David, and yet David, through the providence of God, always seems to get away. Now, what's happening here? Well, we know Saul was chosen to be king. But through his pride and disobedience, God unchose him to be king and sought after a man after his own heart, which was David. And obviously, Saul did not care for God's decision very much, and so Saul seeks to destroy him. As a matter of fact, it really becomes Saul's life's calling to try to destroy David. But God always sees fit to deliver him. Now, what's happening in this account right here, through some informants that wanted to get on Saul's good side, they've come to Saul saying, we know where David is at, and they gave him the information. If you look at verse number 25, the Bible says, Saul goes out to seek him. He zeroed in on the place that he was at. And if you'll look down, uh, I think, to verse number 28, it gives you the name of this place, Selah Hamaklakoth. Now, I practiced that about 30 times last night, and so don't expect me to say that a whole lot during the message today. We're just going to call it Mount Selah, if that's all right with you, uh, because I wanted to make sure we got it right. But as I was reading through 1 Samuel 23. Uh, I love words. I love looking at words, seeing what they mean. And usually the longer the word, the richer the meaning. Uh, now, this is a very, very long word. So I had to look it up and see exactly what this word meant. And lo and behold, sure enough, there was a rich meaning to it. It actually has two meanings. I'm going to give them to you. And I want you to remember one of them in particular. Uh, the first meaning is really based on David's perspective. It's called the cliff of escapes. All right? This mountain has two names, and both names of this mountain really go by the perspective of David and the perspective of Saul. So David's perspective was, this is the mountain where God delivered him. And so one of the names of this mountain, Mount Selah, is the Cliff of Escapes. But I want you to focus in today on the name that really refers to Saul's perspective, and that is the Place of Divisions. So I look this up and I'm thinking, I don't understand why, I can understand why David saw it as a mount of escape, but why does Saul look at this on the perspective of a place of divisions? Now, I'm going to explain that to you today in the message. For Saul, this mountain would be the place to where his interest would be so divided that he would have to make a decision on the direction that he was going to go. All right? Have you ever had a divided interest in your life? All right? That is my life. Okay? I don't know when I haven't had a divided interest where I, I need to go in this direction and I need to go in that direction. We call that the proverbial fork in the road. We always have one, two, three, four, five things going at the same time, and we have to decide which direction we're going to go because as we've all found out the hard way, you can't be in two places at once. So we look down. The Bible says as they come to this place... David's on one side, Saul's on the other side. Lo and behold, in verse 27, there a messenger came. Now notice what the messenger says. Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. 
So watch what's happening. Now, we know this is divine intervention, all right? We can see the hand of God in this. David is surrounded. Uh, Saul is marching. Saul thinks he's finally gotten him. And lo and behold, there comes a messenger and tells him that the Amalekites or the Philistines have invaded the land. Now, think about this fork in the road that Saul's at. Saul sees his prey. Saul sees what he's desired to have. He's planned for it. He's prepared. He had all of this military strategy ready to go, all of this recon. And lo and behold, here comes a messenger telling him that the Philistines have invaded the home front. Now, here's why this is a place of divisions. Saul has to decide which way he's going to go. Does he continue to pursue David, who he has planned and plotted and prepared for, or does he return home? Now, he's got to make a decision at this place of division. All right, can you see that this morning? Here is Saul. He's gotten the news that there are, there's an invasion in the home front. But man, David is right over this mountain. He's come to this fork in the road, and he's got to decide the decision he's going to make at this place of division. Now, here's what I want you to see today. Although most of us will never see this mountain, all right? I don't know that people go to the Holy Land to see this mountain. And although you may never see this mountain, I believe and I know that every one of us will come to this place. We will all come to the place of division. We are all going to come to this place, matter of fact, not only once in our life, but many times in our life where we come to that proverbial fork in the road, and you've got to make a decision at the place of division that's going to decide the direction you're going in your life. Now, folks, you can't afford to get this wrong. The stakes are too high. Number one, they're too high eternally. You've got to get that right. When it comes to the place of division to decide the direction you're going to go, to decide whether you spend eternity in heaven with God uh, and with me, I'm going to be there, or you're going to go your own way. Now, that may turn it off for you, okay? Scratch that from the list. I'll be there, but I, you don't have to hang around me, but God's going to be there. Jesus is there, all right? You ought to want to go that way. You've got to make that decision at the place of division. You're going to come to that place one day in your life. For Christians, all, listen, all throughout our lives, you're going to come to this place of division where you have to decide your will or God's will in your life. Now, folks, listen, we take these decisions too lightly. And oftentimes, we make the wrong decision at the fork in the road, and it costs us and our families dearly. I was thinking yesterday about the Wizard of Oz. How many of you remember that? Ever watched the Wizard of Oz? All right, I think we all have. And remember when Dorothy was on her way to the Emerald City and she's on the yellow brick road and she comes to the fork in the road. Do we have a picture of that, guys, back there? Did I send that to y'all? There we go. Uh, we have Dorothy there and she comes to the fork in the road. That's a place of divisions, right? You notice she can go this way or she can go that way. And as Dorothy comes here, unfortunately for her, the only person that was there to give her counsel was a scarecrow who didn't have a brain. Now that's disappointing, isn't it? Uh, I mean, when you need direction, you have two ways you can go. One's going to lead to a good way. One's going to lead to a bad way. And the only person there to give you advice is a scarecrow that doesn't have a brain. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're not much better than the scarecrow. Ah, all right, I get it. I get it. I could read your mind, all right? You know preachers could do that, did you? I can read your mind. 
And you're thinking, well, how can you help me? You're nothing more than that scarecrow. I agree, there are times that what's inside my brain is not much better than what was inside his brain. But here's the good news. We have the word of God to give us direction when we come to the place of division. You're going to have decisions to make in your life, number one, for salvation, number two, as a Christian, in your service to God, as a dad, as you lead your home, as a mom, as you raise your children, uh, as a Christian, to be the witness you need to be, and you're often going to come to this mountain, this place of division, and you're going to be torn from going this way or that way, and you're not going to know what to do, and this morning, the Word of God has the answer for us on finding direction in the place of division. That's what I'm going to preach on this morning, finding direction in the place of division. I want to show you how to face the forks in life's road. Now, folks, I believe there's a lot of forks coming down the road for us. If you're saved here this morning, you're going to find the world is steadily heading in this direction. And God is steadily calling you in this direction. And you're going to come to fork after fork after fork in the road, and you're not going to know what to do. But if you'll go to the Word of God, he has an example for us here on exactly what to do with those forks in the road. So let's look at this today. I want to give you a few things I think that will help you, and we're going to try to move through this as quickly as possible, but still preach what God has for us today. Look at verse 25. The Bible says that Saul is seeking out David. He knows where he's at, and he's come to this mountain, and he is surrounding him in verse number 26. Verse number 27, as Saul prepares to advance and take David. Now think about this. Saul knows what he wants. Saul's decided what he wants, and Saul sees what he wants. Now all Saul has to, I keep wanting to call him Paul. All Saul has to do is go and take what is right there for him to have. But wait a minute. A messenger interrupts the battle plan. The messenger says in verse 27, he says, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Now, we might want to overlook this this morning. You think, what's the big deal about a messenger coming along and saying, Saul, you need to come back home, there's an invasion, because there's something you need to see. That before Saul would make his decision, notice we see, number one, the interruption of his intentions. We see that God has divinely interrupted the intentions of Saul. Now, why is this important? I want you to think about it. Saul has had a lot of recon go into this, a lot of planning, and a lot of preparation, and what he wants is right there. David is on just on the other side of the mountain. All Saul has to do is, is reach out and take what he has been seeking ever since David has been anointed to be king. And lo and behold, as he goes to seek what he desires to have, God interrupts his plans. Now, why is this significant? I believe too often we come to the place of division in our life. We come to this place where we have a fork in the road where we have to decide which direction we're going to go. And oftentimes we go the wrong way. And do you know why? The reason is oftentimes we will not let God interrupt our intentions. We have a plan. We know what we want. We know what we're after. We have put a lot of effort and a lot of work into achieving the goals of our life. We have it. It's just on the other side of that mountain. And listen, here comes God. Oh, God, he has the audacity, doesn't he, to interrupt our life. We have intentions on who we want to be and the jobs we want to have and the money that we want to make. And look, there's nothing wrong with having goals. I think more Americans ought to have some goals. Starting with just getting out of bed and going to work, amen? 
Uh, I think that'd help us out a whole lot. There's now hiring signs all over the world. If our government would quit paying people not to work, uh, we could fill some of these jobs. But that's a side point, and that's personal, right? Not going to go down there, but hear me out. I think you ought to have some intentions in your life, but you ought to let God interrupt those intentions every once in a while. Look, you're going to come to this place of division in your life where you have to decide which direction you're going to go to be saved or to remain lost. Listen, or as a Christian to surrender your life and your will to God. And the only way you're going to make the right choice at the place of division is to allow God to interrupt your intentions. Oftentimes, we won't let God do that, will we? Our minds are made up. We know who we want to be what we want to do, where we want to go, and we're going to have what we've been pursuing, and that's why we make the wrong turns in our life. Here's the truth of the matter. Most of God's greatest works, if you'll read throughout Scripture, began with an interruption. Now, I want you to think about that today, all right? Uh, We're sitting here, and we're resisting God. Now, what do we tell our kids? I think it's a great rule. I remember my dad, uh, we first had Miley. Uh, My dad says, teach your daughter two things. I said, all right, Dad, what are they? I was thinking hunting and fishing. Uh, no, Dad said, teach your daughter two things, how to be still and how to be quiet. I think that's great advice today. Amen. Teach your kids to be still and teach them to be quiet. You are the parent, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but you are. You're supposed to train them. And our kids come up to us, and we're talking with other adults, and our kids are tugging on our coat. Daddy, 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 daddy. Boy, some of you didn't like that. I can see a look on your face already. Smile. It'll be all right. Look, you can't complain about America uh, and, and, and hate the solution for America, right? The problem with America is we just need some good training for our young people, and the Word of God outlines that. But that's for maybe tonight's message. We'll get into that. But I want you to think about this. What do we tell our kids? Don't interrupt. Don't interrupt. We're sitting there talking to an adult, probably a very deep conversation about where we're going to go for ice cream after church. Uh, or where has the best fried chicken? Or where has the best Italian food? And our kids are like, daddy, 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 mama, mama, mama. And what do we tell them? Don't interrupt. Shh, don't interrupt. Do you know, that's what we do to the Holy Spirit of God. God comes up and we're having a conversation. Listen, I have a conversation. I have an idea of what I want to say and what I want to do. And we just tell God, listen, don't interrupt. But hear me out. Some of God's greatest works began with an interruption. I'll give you some examples. God interrupted Paul's mission. As Paul was on his way on the road to Damascus about the mission for which he thought that he needed to be about, God interrupted his mission. I think something good came out of that, didn't it? One of the greatest preachers the world ever saw. It began with an interruption. I think about Moses. What was Moses doing when God called out to him? For all practical purposes, Moses was in retirement. He was on the backside of the desert. He had fled the the big city life of Egypt, and he's living the simple life, following the sheep around, and all of a sudden, God calls Moses out of retirement. Now, hear me out. That was an interruption. Moses had a bunch of sheep with him, and God had the audacity to interrupt him. But here's something I want you to think about today. Too often, what we view as an interruption by God is truly an invitation from God. Would you just think about that for a second? Some of you got to loosen up a little bit, all right? Uh, I don't know if he's up late last night, but some of you are just staring at me blankly today, all right? Stick with me, all right? Smile a little bit. It's all right, all right? We're here in God's house to hear from God's word to be helped by God's will, all right? Now, watch this. Think about this this morning. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit of God comes to us and seeks to interrupt our intentions. And we tell him, shh, shh. I don't want God interrupting my life. Could we possibly view it in a different perspective that rather than an interruption, could it be an invitation? We look at Moses again. Watch. 
God interrupted his retirement and invited him to be a part of redemption. My people are trapped. My people are being held captive. And I want you to help and go redeem my people out of that. Now, watch this. It was viewed as an interruption of his retirement. But all truth, in all truth this morning, it was an invitation to be a part of redemption. The Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus is the interruption of his mission. But you know what it was? It was really an invitation to ministry. I have a huge list this morning. I'm not going to go down them. God interrupted Samuel's sleep. You remember that? I mean, couldn't God wait until he woke up? I mean, sleep is hard to come by nowadays. Couldn't God have waited until Samuel uh, had woke up and was wide awake in the morning where he had his wits about him? But one thing I have figured out about God, God's not always going to operate off my timetable. Matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 3.10, the Bible says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. In his time. Here's the sad truth. We want our lives to be beautiful. We want our homes to be beautiful. Listen, we want our, our lives to just unfold as a beautiful story of God's will. But the problem is that only happens in his time. That means when God wants to interrupt your time, you've got to let him interrupt your intentions to bring about his will, which is an invitation to be a part of his plan. I've told you the story so many times, but I've got to tell you again, it's one of the biggest moments of my life, June of 1995, when the Holy Spirit of God interrupted my life. I was going to play in the NBA. I was, I was, I was. When you put a big sign up there, collective laugh. That's the point where everybody can laugh together. It's all right, you can laugh. But man, that's what I wanted with my life. And then here we are, June of 1995. God has the audacity to interrupt what I have intended for my life, but it wasn't an interruption. It was an invitation. Oh, what a privilege it's been for the last 26 years to be able to serve God. Why? Because it, it began with an interruption. Think about the disciples. What did God interrupt? He interrupted the disciples' career. What were they doing? They were fishing. That was their career. That was their livelihood. That was their life. And lo and behold, Jesus had the audacity to interrupt their career to invite them to a calling. I even think about Elijah under the juniper tree. He's sitting there crying the blues. Do you ever have a pity party? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm raising mine for all of us because I know all of us do. You have a pity party. Woe is me. What did Elijah say? I'm the only one. I'm the only one. There's nobody else standing for God. I'm the only one. Lo and behold, God interrupts his pity party. And what does he do? He invites him back to the work. He says, I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed a knee to Baal. He says, hey, stand up. Let's get about our father's business. There's work to do. But he had to interrupt his weariness to invite him to the work. Now, this morning, here's what I wonder. I wonder what God wants to interrupt in your life, but your intentions are getting in the way. What is God wanting to interrupt? Here's Saul. Saul says, you know what? There's what I want. There's David. He's on the other side of the mountain. I'm finally going to have what I want. And the messenger comes and interrupts him. You know, I couldn't help but think about the messenger, thinking about being a pastor. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Look, folks, as a pastor, sometimes I say things people don't like. And I try to be kind and compassionate, okay? I don't go out to hurt anybody's feelings. But sometimes the messenger delivers a message that interrupts our intentions. And we shoot the messenger when really he's just delivering the message from headquarters. All right? I'm not trying to interrupt your life. God is. And you ought to let him interrupt your intentions this morning. Why? Because God's interruptions oftentimes turn out to be invitations. I read a story about a hitchhiker one time. He was on his way home. A man was on his way home. He saw a hitchhiker on the side of the road. 
man had a backpack there, and he just felt sorry for him. You know, and I don't recommend you doing this, okay? You better be led of God if you do it. He pulled over the side of the road and says, look, you need a ride? The guy says, yeah, look, I'm just, you know, on my own, crossing America, and I just need a ride to the next town. And uh, he says, look, I'll help you out. He takes his backpack, loads it in the trunk. The guy gets in the passenger seat. They start going down the road. As they go down the road, the driver looks over, and the guy's just very quiet. He's acting kind of nervous, you know, and he's beginning to think that something's up with this guy, and he reaches back for his wallet and realizes his wallet is gone. He says to himself, he says, well, evidently when I helped him load his bag, he took my wallet. All of a sudden, he slams on the brakes, looks over at the guy, and he says, hand over the wallet. The guy says, wait a minute, you don't understand. He says, listen, I don't want to hear it. Give me the wallet. The guy says, sir, you don't understand. He says, look, give me the wallet and get out of the car. So the guy pulls out the wallet, gives it to him, and he just goes on about his business. He speeds off going on down the road. The guy is just so upset that he's been robbed by this guy and almost lost his wallet. He walks in the door, tells his wife, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. His wife says, wait a minute, before you, before you tell me that, i got to tell you this before I forget, you left your wallet on the kitchen table before you left for work. That man pulls the wallet out of his pocket, and lo and behold, he has the other man's wallet. He, he just robbed this hitchhiker. The hitchhiker's standing on the side of the road without his wallet. But watch this. What happened? The guy tried to explain it to him. Hey, this is not your wallet. Look in there. This is my wallet. But the man just would not hear it. He would not be interrupted. Why? Because he had it all figured out. And there's the Holy Spirit of God with us. The Holy Spirit of God throughout a church service, times you're reading your Bible, even going down the road, the Holy Spirit of God speaks to our heart. And he's trying to get us to make the right turn at the fork in the road, but we won't hear it. Why? Because we've got it all figured out. We know exactly what needs to happen. We've been planning out our life. We have all of our intentions in place, and we're going to have what we're going to have without God interrupting us. I want to tell you the first thing this morning. If you're going to make the right turn at that fork in the road, notice the interruption of his intentions. You're going to have to let God interrupt your life. Now, keep reading. Why is this so difficult? The Bible says, verse number 25, Saul also and his men went to seek him. I want you to think about this. Saul's not just randomly looking for an escaped convict. David is not your average convict or your average enemy that he's pursuing. What Saul is doing here, this pursuit that he is on to find David, is very, very personal. You see, that's number two. That's a dilemma in his decision. The dilemma, for the reason that Saul was seeking out David... The dilemma was the fact that this was not just a political decision. This was a personal decision. Let me remind you, 1 Samuel chapter 18, after David returns, returns from smiting the Philistines, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, 7 through 9, listen close, and the women answered one another and they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. The saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. This was not a matter of principle. This was a matter that was very personal. Now hear me out. Do you know what Saul's dilemma was? The reason it was such a dilemma, do I go home and save the homeland for which I am king? I mean, that's what his calling was. He was still at least the king on the throne. David had not assumed the throne yet. That was still the position that he held. Do you know why it was such a pull? Because this pursuit was personal. I want you to understand this today. The reason we have trouble in letting God interrupt our intentions 
is because too often we are about personal pursuits. We're not going to let God interrupt our personal pursuits. You don't understand. This is personal to me. That boy's wronged me. That boy's going to overthrow me. It was all about Saul. And folks, I believe this morning too many of us, the reason we will not let God interrupt our intentions at the place of division is because there's too much at stake personally for us. I don't know if you know about this this morning, but as a human, we seek personal gratification over the gratification of others. The Bible says every man seeks his own good, not the good of others. That comes natural, right? That comes natural. There's a man once knocked on a lady's door, and uh, the lady answers the door, and she says, can I help you? He says, I'm trying to raise money for a needy family. He said, there's a family here in our apartment complex that the husband's out of work, the kids are hungry, they're behind on their utilities, and I'm here to raise money to help with their rent. The lady says, well, look, I'll be glad to help out with that. She says, but answer me one question first. Who are you? He says, well, I'm their landlord. Now, you think about that. He's the guy that the money was going to go to. He was out there beating the bushes, trying to get the money, but truthfully, it wasn't about the family. It was about himself. Folks, listen, this is why we say no to God this morning. This is why we don't come to an altar and submit our will to God's. Why? Because our will is personal. God, don't ask me to give this up. This is what I want. This is where I'm going. This is my intentions. And we don't want to give up our intentions. Why? Because they're ours. We're kind of like the government. We don't mind spending other people's money. But we don't want to spend ours, do we? You know what? I heard somebody the other day at the gas station. I was filling up gas there off Lincoln Road Extension in the gas station. The guy was bragging to the lady at the counter. I really wish he would hurry up with his bragging because I had somewhere to go. He was bragging to the lady what he was going to do with his stimulus check. Man, when that thing comes in, I'm going to fill up my car. I'm going to buy a new television. He's just on and on and on and on what he was going to do with the stimulus check. And the lady looks over at me and she says, after he walked out, I wonder what he was going to do if he didn't get one. I thought, I guess he had to go get a job, you know, like everybody else. We don't mind taking somebody else's money, but hey, don't want you to take in my money. The reason Saul is having such a dilemma here, the dilemma of the decision, do I go, now think about this, do I go home and help the people of my country? Seems like a given, huh? I mean, that's what he's there for. You're the king. Go home and defend your people or keep pursuing after David. The reason it's such a dilemma is because it's personal. The greatest battle you're going to have in making the right turn at the place of division is giving up self, what I want. But I'm going to show you here in just a minute, oftentimes the choice is really between self-denial or self-destruction. We either give our way up to God's or we're going to end up seeking our self-fulfillment that's only going to lead to self-destruction. You see, it's personal. Genesis chapter 4, we read this about Cain. Now, I want you to listen close and see these two roads diverge. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Why? Because he did things God's way. He did things God's way. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. Now listen close. Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance falling? You see, you're always miserable when you do things your way and not God's way. You're going to be miserable always. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. 
Watch this. If thou doest well, if thou doest not well. Cain was at the place of division. He had to decide, am I going to do things God's way? And look at the merciful God that we serve. God says, I'm going to give you another shot, Cain. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. He brought vegetables or fruits. He brought something in the place of what thus saith the Lord. He did what he wanted. It's personal. This is what I want to do. I know what God says. I know what God prescribed. I know what my brother did. But I'm going to be different. Be careful with wanting to be different just for the sake of being different. Especially at the cost of the will of God. He said, I'm going to do things my way. Here comes a loving God. I'm being honest with you, and you'll probably be honest with me this morning too. If it was me playing God, he'd have been dead right there. I told you what to do. You didn't do it. But we have a long-suffering and a merciful God. He says, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Oftentimes, divine intervention will come at the cost of personal pursuits. Now think about that for a moment. Divine intervention. You want God to intervene in your life? You want God to work in your life? You want God to give direction? You want God to help you make decisions? Divine intervention, listen, always comes at the cost of personal pursuits. You can't have God's will and your way at the same time. Doesn't work that way, all right? That's why Elijah said, how long halt ye between two opinions? You can't do both. Saul, you can't pursue defending the kingdom and pursue your personal interest in David. You've got to decide which way you're going to go. And this morning, I believe this dilemma is where most Christians are today. We're standing there at the crossroads, and we know better than to choose our own way, but in order to choose God's way, we've got to give of ours. Number two, the dilemma of his decision was the fact that it was personal. Matthew 16, 24, what does the Bible say? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Notice there's no following him without denial of self. Can't do it. Can't do it. If any man will come after me, by the way, you follow Christ all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ is sitting there. The Bible says he was sweating as drops of blood. He was in agony as all the demons of hell and the weight of our sin is about to be placed upon him. And what did he say? He said, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup, this moment, this agony pass from me. Where was Christ at? You've got to see this this morning. He was standing at that place of division for you and I. And he made the right turn for you and I. He says, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Christ paved the way at the place of division. You see, Christ, the Bible says, was in all points tempted likewise as you and I are. There's no temptation that you have ever faced that Christ has not already faced, by the way, and defeated he faced every one of them. You say, well, you just don't know what it's like to give up all my plans and all my desires and all my dreams. I may not, but Christ does. Because a temptation for you to go about your will at the place of division is the same place Christ came in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Christ paved the way at the place of division. Aren't you glad this morning when you get to the fork in the road, it's not a fork that stands uncharted. We have difficulty sometimes, difficult decisions in life. I remember when we were praying about moving here. And I said, God, would you just give me a billboard? 
God, this is so tough. We were leaving a church that we had planted and people we loved. I said, God, this is so hard. I just don't know. Lord, this is what I want to do, and this is what I think you want me to do, and I'm just not sure. I'm so glad when I look down, I can see the feet of my Savior, his footprints. He's already been there, and he paved the way at the place of division, but he had to get past the dilemma of the desire of self. He says, not my will, but thine be done. Is this not what Jonah dealt with? The Lord calls to Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. He says, I want you to rise and go to Nineveh, that great city. I want you to cry, preach against it, cry against it. Well, was, what would the Bible say? But Jonah, there's where the trouble enters. But Jonah. I used to work for my dad and, uh, in construction. And uh, dad would say, I want you to do this. And he'd go off, you know, check on another job or something. While he's gone, I would decide, you know what, I think we ought to do it this way. And I would do it a different way to come back. And if it, was, if it worked, it would be fine. But oftentimes, my ways didn't always work as good as his ways. He'd come back and say, why did you do it that way? i say, well, I thought. He'd go, well, there's your mistake right there. That's the way it is with God. God says, I've already done all the thinking. You just do all the doing. All right? God's done all the figuring. Aren't you glad? Uh, oftentimes in marriage counseling, we'll go over the money thing, you know. Uh, husbands and wives, how you work with money and balancing your budget and all that. And I am unashamed to say that I know what goes on in our finances, but my wife does all the math. I love it. Number one, I hate math. Not bad at it. I just don't like it. And I'll sit down there and I'll look and see what we have. And uh, my wife will kind of keep me up to date, but she does all the hard part. All I have to do is the approval. Yeah, let's do that. No, let's not do that. Man, it's just pretty easy for me. And that's the way God is. God's already worked out all the numbers. God's already decided, listen, what's ahead. God's already decided the details. God's already provided what is going to be needed for the journey. All you have to do is take the road. But here's the problem. The dilemma is personal. Oftentimes, our choices that we have in life are going to be the choice of God's will versus my will. That's it. Number two, that's the dilemma we're going to go through. I read a story several years ago about a monastery in Portugal. It's about 3,000 feet on the side of a cliff. And the only way to access that monastery is through getting in a basket and letting a strong man at the top of the mountain pull you up by a rope. Now, to be honest with you, I have no desire to go there, no desire to see that, all right? Unless the Lord calls me there, I'm not going there. I have no desire. And uh, there was an American tourist who wanted to see that monastery, and so he got in the basket. He's on his way up, and as he's on his way up, he noticed the rope was kind of frayed, and so he asked the monk that was in the basket with him, how often do you replace this rope? He says, every time it breaks. Guy started thinking to himself, that's kind of late to figure out that it's needing replacing, isn't it? As funny as that is, that's exactly how we are with our way. Why on earth do we have to keep having these personal pursuits in our life at the cost of the will of God and realizing those personal pursuits are never going to amount to anything? Why do we have to wait until the rope breaks to realize our way doesn't work? Why do we have to go down our way and what I want and, and me and my and my desires and my plans and my intentions? How many of us have to go down that road and the rope breaks before we realize, you know what? Not my will, but thine be done. Because the rope's never going to break on the will of God. 1 John 2, the Bible says, for all that is in the world, listen to this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, it is of the world. Now, hear those out. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You know what that is? Personal. It's personal. The Bible says, when you go on to read it, and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. All of our personal desires and lusts, the Bible says, they're going to pass away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
Number two, the place of division is a place of decision between your way and God's. But I want to help you out a little bit. Look down at verse 27. The Bible says, but there came a messenger unto Saul saying, haste thee and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. Now, something to help you while you're considering which direction you go is what's happening in verse number 27. While Saul is away on this personal pursuit, the enemies come in the back door and invaded the homeland. This ought to motivate you a little bit. Notice the price of his pursuit. The price of his pursuit is that while he was away on a personal pursuit, the enemy's wreaking havoc at home. Now, how often, folks, is this the case this morning? The enemy gains access through our absence. The enemy gains access through our absence. Because Paul, Saul was out doing his will and pursuing his desire and pursuing his intentions, watch this, that gave the enemy opportunity to come in the back door and invade the homeland. Can I tell you this morning that the enemy's wreaking havoc upon the homeland? I'm talking about the homeland of churches, the homeland of our households, the homeland of our marriages, the homeland of our children's hearts. The enemy is wreaking havoc there, and the reason that he has gained access is because something is absent. The devil always seeks to invade through absence. Read a startling statistic. Listen close. Tonight, 40% of all American children will go to sleep in a house in which their fathers do not live. Before the age of 18, more than 50% of our children will spend a significant portion of their childhood living apart from their fathers. A generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with a dad. Today, an American child can reasonably expect not to. Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend in this generation. We look at the world and we look at, at the, the havoc that's being wreaked upon our children and we wonder why they're going the wrong way in the wrong direction. It's because, watch, the enemy has gained access through the absence of moms and dads. That's where he got in, all right? Remember, the enemy couldn't touch Job. Couldn't touch him. Why? There was a hedge built about him. Job had maintained that hedge and so everything was safe and secure inside because God had built that hedge through the obedience of Job. When mom and dad seek to be disobedient, let me tell you what you're doing. You're kicking a hole in that hedge, and that serpent's going to come through that hedge, and you don't be surprised if you lose your home, your children, and your testimony, all because you were absent pursuing personal intentions and interest in your life. Now, folks, look, don't shoot the messenger. I love you. I really do. But I'm tired of losing our young people, our marriages, our churches. I'm tired of telling my daughter about what America used to be when America's being wreaked havoc upon because there's an absence of godly men and godly women in this country. That's why we're having the trouble we're having. We can't complain about it when the answer is repenting from our will and our intentions to do the will of our Father. Every mom and dad this morning ought to surrender to God. Not my will, but thine be done. Why? Because my children are at stake. It was in the absence of Saul that the enemy came in and wreaked havoc on the homeland. Ephesians 4.26, I quote it often, but it's, it never gets old. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. I don't think there's a person in here this morning they would give the devil a key to your home. I don't think there's a person here this morning that would take your child and place them in the hands of the devil. I don't think there's a person here this morning that would take your home and give it to Satan for safekeeping. None of us would ever do that. 
But when we're not in our place pursuing personal intentions, you might as well have done that because you're giving place to the devil. When we seek ours and me and mine and we have our own personal intentions, matter of fact, all throughout Scripture you can read that some of the greatest disasters in the Bible occurred in the absence of something. Real quickly, let me give you a few. Ezekiel 22, verse 30, and I sought for a man among them. By the way, I still believe God's seeking for some men. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the what? Gap. There's a gap in the hedge. Before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God says there's a hole in the hedge and I'm looking for somebody to plug that hole, but he didn't find anybody. I wonder where they were. I'll tell you exactly where they were. They were pursuing personal intentions. That's what they were doing. Keep reading. Therefore, that means as a result, have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. What a horrible, horrible outcome that occurred all because there was an absence of men to stand in the gap before the Lord for the land. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 and 10. And listen to this. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. Watch this. As long as there were godly men who stood there, those elders who had seen the works of God when he brought them out of Egypt, as long as there was a godly man there, the Bible says they served the Lord. All the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the elders that outlived Joshua. Listen to verse 10. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. That means they died. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor the works he had done in Israel, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. When did evil enter in? In the absence of good men, the absence of good women, the absence of good homes, the absence of good churches. Look, folks, I'll tell you, I, I tell you all the time, I like being liked. I really do. I hate when people are mad at me. Oh, I hate when people are mad at me. It just, it causes me to lose sleep. That's why I do so much of that sympathy eating. That's why I go to Krispy Kreme all the time, all right? I'm just comforting myself with donuts because folks don't like me something. That's okay. I try to be liked, but folks, understand this. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Look, there's got to be a church in this town. There really, there's got to be a church in this town where somebody, listen, is willing to explain to folks in a kind, compassionate, truthful, and loving way that the enemy's getting in in the absence of godly men and godly women. We wonder why our city is going the way it's going. Now, maybe there should be a few more churches like ours. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, we have the parable of the tares and wheat. I'm going to hurry. Number four is the quickest point. Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. Stop there. Had something good going, didn't he? Sowed good seed in his field, planted some good seed, looking forward to what's going to come up in the wheat. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When did the trouble come? While men slept. We this morning, too many of us are suffering from a distracted devotion to God. We're distracted. What are we distracted by? Personal pursuits. That's what I want. That's what I'm after. That's what I intend on getting. Number four, I want to leave you on a high note. You look down, verse 27, the messenger comes, says, haste thee and come. Haste thee and come. For the Philistines have invaded the land. Verse 28, here's Saul. Between verse 27 and verse 28, Saul is standing here at this mountain, this place of division. He's got to decide what he's going to do. Wherefore? Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, they called the place Selah Hamaklakoth. 
Saul stood at this place, he had to make a decision. What am I going to do? Homeland's being invaded, but there's David. There's what I want. There's what I like. There's what I'm after. But the homeland's being invaded. He couldn't do both. Can I tell you this morning, you can't do both either. You can't pursue your will and God's at the same time. So what is he going to do? Well, verse 28, Saul has a moment of sanity. Wherefore, Saul returned from pursuing after David. Number four, I want you to see the surrender of his search. He says, I know it's right there, and I know I could have it. The Bible says the mountain, they were surrounded. They had him. Look at verse 26. The men compassed David and his men. They had it. He could have had it if he wanted it. His intentions were right there. But he says, you know what? I'm going to surrender my search. Can I tell you, as the pastor of this church this morning, as the messenger, I believe the message for us is the exact same thing that the messenger said in verse 27. Haste thee and come. Haste thee and come. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and you stand here at that place of division, what do I do? Where do I go? This life looks so much more fun. This, I get to do what I want, my way, me and my, oh, I could have all of my intentions. But the Bible says it's the ways of death. It leads to destruction. And you're standing here this morning and there's God calling and beckoning you. And what is he saying? Haste thee and come. Haste thee and come. You want what I got, I assure you, this is what you need to be doing. And this morning, if you're here and you're saved, you know what the message is? Haste thee and come. If you're saved this morning, you're standing at this place of division and you're halting between two opinions, as Elijah said. Trying to decide, if Baal be God, follow him. Baal was the God of personal desire. That's what you wanted. Everything this stuff wants, that was what Baal was all about. And he says, if God be God, follow him. But you've got to choose. Joshua said, choose this day whom you're going to serve. The gods on the other side, he said, are you going to choose God? But as for me and my house, you know what Joshua decided? Joshua decided he was going to haste and come. I believe this morning that each and every one of us is going to come to this place where Saul is at, this place of division, where you've got to decide which direction you're going to pursue. And my prayer this morning, if you're on, on this path seeking your way and your intentions, those personal pursuits at the cost of the will of God and his way for your life and your home, that you'll surrender your search. Haven't we heard too many testimonies of people who've been down to the end of this road and come back and tell you there's nothing there? Surrender the search. You're chasing something. Look, and while you're chasing that, the enemy's invading your homeland. Can I ask you, is what you're chasing down here worth your children? Is it worth your home? Is it worth your testimony? Is it worth this church? Is it worth this country? Because look, there's too many men down that road and America's getting ransacked this morning. Here's the message. Haste thee and come.